without a strong uh, bunch of journalists, whether it's a free press or whether it's strong um, public radio or strong podcasters or whatever, um, government's going to be able to run amok. And government, you know, the, the press is has been a watchdog on government. It's not the enemy of the people. <laughs> Another piece of this that I've seen change in, in my uh, working lifetime is um, it, it's almost as if news has become entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was actually just going to bring up, you know, what, what you were saying um, about, you know, the news is the Amazon rainforest is burning. The news is not what yeah. Kim Kardashian is doing with her butt. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational podcast about leadership, power, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Monica Doyle. Our topic today is the growing crisis in journalism. In the last 15 years, over 2,000 local newspapers, that's about 25% of all local newsrooms in the U.S., have either merged with a competitor or stopped being published. And newspapers still manage to, the newspapers that still manage to survive are not what they used to be. Right. That is so true because um, the newspapers have dramatically cut their staffs and they've pared back on their coverage, of course. Um, Metro regional daily newspapers that once employed, for example, hundreds of journalists uh, now have only a few dozen reporters and editors in their newsrooms. And another really concerning thing is, is just this month, two of the largest U.S. newspaper companies, Gatehouse and Gannett, agreed to merge, basically creating a newspaper industry giant. And uh, as a longtime journalist, uh, I am very worried about Who's going to be the eyes and ears uh, for citizens? Uh, who's watching mayors, school boards, police officers? Uh, you know, certainly citizens don't have time to go to those meetings, and someone really needs to be uh, holding them accountable for citizens. And I understand your um, your worry about this, especially having the history of journalism that you have. I personally think that it's um, just a matter of looking for the next platform that's going to be the next news outlet that's going to be similar to printed press. Uh, as a millennial, I just see it as evolution of culture, but I certainly think that when you have a president of the United States tweeting things like, journalism is nothing more than evil propaganda machine for the Democrat Party, or journalists are the enemy of the people, I'd say that freedom of the press is in big trouble. At least we're in agreement there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we have invited Bob Zaltzberg uh, to join us today. Um, welcome, Bob. Thanks. I'm honored to be here. Well, I want to tell people a little bit about Bob because he has decades of journalism experience with the Herald Times in Bloomington, which is Indiana's state capital. And he has been described as uh, one of the deans of Indiana newspaper editors, or maybe the dean uh, of Indiana newspaper editors. And he's now passing all that experience forward to the next generation of journalists uh, teaching at Indiana University. And he's also hosted his own noon edition radio program. And I understand uh, you were just talking about this topic, I believe, on one of your shows, Bob. So how are you feeling about the state of journalism in our country right now? 
Well, can I correct you really quickly? Sure. Bloomington is not not the capital of Indiana, and that's Indianapolis. But we are the we think we're. You know, I should know better than that because (laughs) I'm a Hoosier. I was born in South Bend. What's wrong with (laughs) me? Well, it's the home of Indiana University. So that's right. That's right. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I'm feeling um, worried, um, but I'm still I'm an I'm an optimist. So I'm still cautiously optimistic that uh, people are still going to want to support journalism. I just don't know in what form. There there may be some more non-profits to get involved in journalism. I think the commercial model is really broken. Mm -hmm. Uh, The business model is broken. And I think, you know, Monica, as a millennial, you know, a lot of millennials don't necessarily want to pay for content or at least don't want to pay for the current platforms of content. They don't want a print edition delivered to their home. So, you know, we're in, a, we're in a state of change and transformation. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, I think that uh, this nation certainly needs and I hope will support people who are journalists, who are trying to tell the truth, trying to get to the bottom of stories, trying to, um, to really keep an eye on what government's up to. Definitely not the enemy of the people, more <laughs> likely the the friend or a champion of the people, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, take us, define journalist for for us, will you? Uh, because, I mean, I think that's one of the big questions here today is uh, what actually is a journalist versus someone who is um, just putting content out there on the Internet or, or talking on television? Well, in my mind, a journalist is, is someone who doesn't have an agenda, but really is employed either you know for money or for goodwill or whatever to uh, find out what's going on in a particular community um, and then report on it to to the people who want to read that platform. So, for instance, you know, in the paper that I worked for 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 over forty years, I was editor for thirty three years. You know, we wanted to try to tell the stories of the people of Bloomington, Indiana, and Monroe County, and the surrounding communities, and also tell stories that were of importance to people. And, you know, I use the word stories because I think we want to focus them on a central compelling character of some sort, but it's basically just provide information and provide the truth and provide as, as much factual information and get as close to the truth as, as we can. I think that's what journalists, journalists do is that they try to ask a lot of questions and piece everything together, connect the dots, and then sort of let the chips fall, if I can use that cliche. Well, and when it comes to journalists, um, would you compare newspaper journalists to, say, um, what I believe is the the new evolution of newspaper, the the digital journalists, the um, the news and video journalists? Would you compare that to newspaper journalists? I think newspaper journalists have have had to become online journalists, mm-hmm. and so I think that that I I would compare a newspaper journalists with public radio journalists, for instance, or public television journalists, or uh, journalists who people who have uh, some really good website, Politico, for instance. Uh, there are a lot of websites out there that are doing really good journalism. Um, but I think you have to be aware of the, the transparency. Um, is there advocacy involved? And if there is advocacy, you can say that. You can be transparent and said, you know, we are, we are 
we are going to try to tell you the stories that, that are going to make your hair curl about the environment, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's advocacy, but it comes from a position where you're where those journalists are saying, we believe that climate change is real. So let's take it out of the political realm. We believe it's real. And we're going to tell you stories about what's happening and about this that are based on facts and based on research. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what journalists do, as opposed to just go on social media or get a blog or whatever and just spout an opinion. I shouldn't use the word spout, but just offer opinions of what they think to be the truth without backing it up. Uh, with anything that's factual. Well, and my next question was going to be um, what what is bad journalism, but I'd, I'd kind of like to rephrase that as what what is happening lately with people, and and I feel like it's a tool that's being used to, to squash actual journalism, actual factual um, reporting. What, what do you feel about people using opinion as something to compare to facts and truths? Well, I think they're, they're just two different animals. So, you know, there are opinions. I was, I was an editor of a newspaper, so I was an opinion writer. But, it, you know, the best opinions are going to be based in facts. You know, you, you find the research, you do, you do the work, you find the research, you talk to the people that are experts, and then you form an opinion, and you can write about that as long as you're transparent again about where you got where you got your information, and let people then decide whether they, you know, agree with your set of research or whether they want to counter with other sets of research. But that's not what's happening today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not people aren't necessarily doing that. They're just they might be cherry picking a fact and saying. Um, you know that, that well. This proves that I'll go back to the uh, the climate change example. I had someone who, when I worked, who wanted to write a column saying climate change wasn't real, and he cherry picked one or two facts that had basically been dis, dis, uh, disproved by a bunch of research. But somebody had published something about the fact that the the um, you know the the sea sea level wasn't really rising. Well. You know, yeah, you could find that one fact somewhere online and then put it in a story and even quote where it came from. But then if you actually do the research on it, you'll find that that's been disproven by, you know, multiple other facts. So, you know, I, people are going to, I, I just, I think journalists, true journalists, have some sense of integrity and they, they try very hard to offer something that's based on reality. Whether or not it's part of their own personal agenda. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that people, that, that, that journalists, professional journalists don't get things wrong. And that's, you know, that's one of the issues, too, because, you know, we, uh, people who are in journalism are putting out stories right and left and, you know, day after day. And now with, with um, digital media, hour after hour, sometimes those stories aren't correct. So, again, I'll go back to the word transparency, people have to be transparent and say, well, we we did report this, and now we're going to tell you that we were wrong, mm-hmm. and here's how we found out we were wrong, and here's what we think now is the truth of the matter. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a big it's a big issue, but, but again, if I can sort of go back to your original premise, I mean, I think journalists, true journalists, are trying to report... Um, what is the closest to the truth that they can find out. And I think there are a lot of people that are kind of wannabe journalists that are just trying to advance an agenda. 
And, and you know, that um, in some ways is, is the crux of the problem because you and I are peers in terms of sort of generational peers, and, uh, and we sort of had a certain understanding of what journalism was, and also there were limited sources of information. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're growing up, you know, you had three uh, television networks, and when Walter Cronkite was reporting something on the CBS Evening News, millions of Americans heard that same information and, um, and, and trusted that that was true, that that was factually true. And um, and now everything is dramatically changed where there are so many other sources of information and people are getting information from um, hundreds, perhaps thousands of different sources. And, um, and also, you and I are journalists, and so, and, and Monica grew up in a family of journalists, you know, but there's an awful lot of people who don't make this clear distinction. Mm-hmm. And then what are you teaching your students about this, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to teach them, you know, we, I teach a management class, but we, but we talk a lot about ethics and integrity, and I try to talk about, um, you know, always trying to understand where the information's coming from. Uh, in the ethics portion, you know, I actually teach the, the folks at the Poynter Institute in St. Petersburg, which is the best think tank about journalism in the country. Uh, they've rewritten mm. the basic principles about ethics in the last five or six years to try to take into account that, that with the speed at which information mm-hmm. is going out there, um, we really have to be, we just have to be more transparent. So transparency is a huge part of it. And then there's another part of that, which is, um, and these are things I do teach in my class, which is um, the uh, the journalist has to look at the community as an end rather than a means. That is, the work that you're doing is trying to be of benefit to a, a community of people. You're, you're not trying to just pick and choose things where you, you, know, you get a good story out of somebody that would just not have any value in a community. So I'm not sure I explained that really well, but basically it's, you know, how do we, how do we try to tell the good stories and how do we try to, to tell stories and write about things that are going to be of, of benefit? You know, are going to attack things like poverty or attack things. I mean, poverty is a reality. There's no question about it. You can't, you can't argue that there's no poverty. So how do you, yeah. how do you become a, as a journalist? How do you report on on people who are who, frankly, you know, a lot of our uh, peers and predecessors haven't reported about before? Right. And well, but another safe areas. Well, but another piece of this that I've seen change in in my uh, working lifetime is um, it, it's almost as if news has become entertainment. Yeah. yeah, I was I was actually just going to bring up, you know, what what you were saying um, about, you know, the news is the Amazon rainforest is burning. The news is not what yeah. Kim Kardashian is doing with her butt. You know? <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, yeah I, great. I, I, there you go. That's a great. I mean, that's a great point. And, you know, I, the Amazon rainforest is burning is a huge story. Uh, you know, I come from the, you know, my roots are in local journalism, but still, I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to work in a community where there are uh, researchers and experts on almost anything. So if I was still the editor of the Herald Times, I would have certainly, I hope, assigned a story on, okay, what's this mean 
to everybody who's living in our community. If 20% of the Amazon rainforest mm-hmm. is burning, mm-hmm. what is the impact on us and what's it going to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Mm-hmm. There so, you go. There you go. All, all news is local, right? What's the local all, impact of that incredible story? It's not like, hey, did right. you see what's going on in Brazil? Yeah. Right. Well, and the thing that was alarming about that particular thing, and I'm trying to use this as an example, is that there was a lack of reporting of it for a Uh very long time. And and it was, you know, passed over for local bit pieces. And this was news. You know, this was real news that was happening. And nobody was talking about it for weeks. Yeah. It took the Internet to bring this to the attention of news stations and to people and to be like, hey, why didn't you report this? Why are you reporting things like local homeless man saves dog? You know, that's great. But the Amazon rainforest is burning. (laughs) You can answer that question, Bob. Why was Why did that happen? Let's take that example. I will answer it. Uh, I, I can't. I can't give you a, a, a really clear answer, but I could just say that I think Monica is really on to something, and that is that that a lot of us, you know, like I like, like I said, I grew up in in the local news biz, and we would always sort of see the responsibility for national or international news. People like the Associated Press, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I don't think the local local newspapers can do that anymore. I don't think that Monica's generation wants local media to do that anymore. I think that if local media are going to survive, they're going to have to attract people who are in Monica's generation and be able to help explain these complex issues and not just leave it to everybody else. I mean, maybe it's, uh, you know, this the merger, if I can, I'm, I'm going to take a little pivot, but the merger of these big newspaper companies, Gannett right. and Gatehouse, right. that may actually have a benefit to really? some smaller newspapers in terms of, like, statewide coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, we can't in Bloomington, even though it's a, you know, a pretty sophisticated community, we, we've probably for the last decade or 15 years haven't been able to afford a statehouse reporter to keep an eye on what our state government's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, with this merger... There'll be statehouse reporters out of Indianapolis, which is a Gannett paper, who will be able to get their information. And so we will have a body who's in Indianapolis, or the, the Blue Week paper will, and the, the other papers that are going to be in this merger. Now, that's, I'm, not, you know, I'm not all in on the merger idea, believe me. But, I mean, there, there could be some benefits, and that would be, that would be one of them. Um, and then there will be more national and international news, I think, that will be available to local newspapers and local media outlets. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing that um, I'd like to talk about, you were talking about like these smaller reporters, you know, in the newspaper. And earlier we talked about how they sort of hold these higher ups and accountable. They're an, uh, almost an unofficial checks and balances. You mean like on the mayors and police? Yeah. And- yeah. But even on a larger scale on the presidency, you know, we have people who are being turned against the press who are being turned against reporters and journalism and the thing that i can't help but keep thinking about is the concept of jesters how they used to be the only person allowed to insult the king but usually what they were saying was you know actual factual truth um and so you know we have this very important source of 
being able to criticize higher offices, of being able to criticize people who have the power to make these decisions. And if the people are being told that they can't trust that, then we lose that important power. And I'm wondering how the effect of a lot of newspapers falling and also this transition into what comes next after newspapers is going to affect this desperate system that we need of being able to hold people in power accountable for their actions. Yeah, that's a great, another great question. There you go. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is I mean, a great question. Yeah, I mean, we do need to figure out how, you know, how are we going to speak truth to power? I mean, that's, and that's what, you know, I, I don't want to get too political, but in the Trump administration, you've seen that, you know, sometimes, you know, they're just they're untruths coming out of official sources. And I'm sure that's been the case for years and years and years, probably more than I would want to admit. But this is in an epidemic level where you can't trust what's coming out of official sources. But then the official sources will say, say, well, no, we told you the truth and they're <laughs> lying, which is it's like, wow. I, you know, I thought I had this figured out where there was a set of facts that were actually the truth, you know, and people would would say, well, the sky is blue today and nobody would tell them that, no, it's not, it's green, but we sort of had some of that. So, yeah. um, you know, that I, I guess to try to get to a solution-based discussion, I, ju- I think journalism, schools, I think nonprofits, I think corporations, I, you know, I, I, I would say, even, I mean that sincerely, corporations have to say, wait a minute, the truth is important, mm-hmm. and holding, holding government accountable is important. And so we're going to all band together and figure this out. And so, I hope so, because, um, you, you know, in, in this morning's New York Times, and maybe you saw it, um, there's a story about the fact that there are now political operatives who are targeting journalists who are working for media outlets that are critical of this administration. And they're particularly targeting the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. And um, by, by planning to um, really publicly humiliate and discredit individual reporters and brand them as enemies of the people. You know, and it's one thing to complain about news coverage, and then that's a very legitimate thing to complain. It's another thing entirely to investigate individuals whose job it is to hold power accountable and to report the facts. Uh, another thing entirely to have a strategy to embarrass them publicly and try to jeopardize their employment. Did you see that um, report? No, read about I that. I haven't seen it, uh, but it's you know it, it, I will certainly look for it. it disgusts me and it terrifies me and I, mean, I think of a couple of things I mean one is that that people either in in government or who want to be in government could want to spend money to discredit people who are protected by the First Amendment you know mm-hmm. our founding fathers included freedom of the press along with the other four freedoms in the First Amendment because it was important to them and to this country and to democracy. And so people who want to tear that down and want to, to work to discredit people is just that to me is anti-American. And it's, it's just, you know, it's pretty disgusting. So, so the fact that people want to do that is bad. I hope it doesn't dissuade people from 
digging in and going after the truth. I, you know, I don't know. I, it's it's that's pretty terrifying. That's terrifying, and you know, I mean, I, I I would like to see people as passionate about protecting the First Amendment as we are so passionate about protecting uh, our right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've, I could get into that. <laughs> the pen yeah. is mightier I than do. the sword. There you go. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. You know, yeah. while we have a little bit of time left with you, I just want to, we'd like to know a little bit more about you in terms of your background. I mean, what got you into journalism? And uh, yeah, let's start there. Well, I, you know, it's it's not a very interesting story i guess i just i was an english major in college and i i had a brother who was in radio news and i always sort of liked it i thought it was really cool to be able to to follow current events find out what was going on and then report about it and then i became the editor of a newspaper when i was relatively young i was 32 years old and Mm. i really you know i grew into the job and grew on the job i was not ready for that kind of responsibility at 32 but (laughs) but I succeeded, I think. I mean, I managed to to do it. And then, you know, I just, I love the community aspect of journalism. And so in Bloomington, I was able to meet a lot of people, get involved in a lot of things. I was, had this relationship with the public radio station, uh, the relationship with the media school. So I became kind of a student of journalism and a student of management and a student of creating a good culture and a student of readership and a student of what engages readers and a lot of different things because when you live in a big time college town there's a lot of opportunity continued for continuing education informally or formally either one so so that's kind of you know what happens so yeah i've retired from my full-time job but i still work at the radio station doing a project on bloomington news reporting do the the public affairs radio show and teach a management course at the university. So, I mean, those are all things that sort of keep me interested and hopefully keep me informed. Well, yeah, we didn't talk about that. I, I do want to know. Um, you said you're teaching management. What what are you teaching management now? Because um, journalism is changing dramatically. You made the point now that uh, newspaper reporters now need to do it all. Mm-hmm. Journalists yeah. need to do it all, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's called media management, but it's a leadership course, and really it talks about, it, it could be, I think, an effective course for almost any anybody who wants to, to manage or lead people, so a lot of it's about motivation, a lot of it's about culture and building a workplace culture, a lot of it's about integrity and ethics, uh, communication, just a whole lot of different things, but it's but it's all told through the lens of a, of a journalist. You know, I have a, um, a mentor in this area, and a woman named Jill Geisler, who's now at Loyola in Chicago, but she worked at Pointer for a long time. And I just have always followed her work and have gotten to hear her speak several times. And I use her, her book in my classroom. And you know, people who are being trained now to go into the workforce, if it's going to be in media, they have to understand how to cope with change, for instance. I mean, how do you, how do you lead or manage during a time of change? And I think my class, I hope, also trains people to get, be good employees. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know what That's to important. expect out of a good manager or a good leader, then if you've got somebody who's not a good manager or a good leader, you can adapt and then perhaps you can move on to some someplace where you can learn some more. So, I don't know, that's kind of the short Sounds answer. like a great class. What's the title of that book, uh, Joe Geisler's book? 
It's called uh, Work Happy, What Great Leaders Know. Ooh, that sounds good. Well, and Bob, um, our podcast focuses on conversations uh, of leadership and learning to use power, uh, which I think it sounds like you do a lot of in your management course. (laughs) Uh, What advice can you give to your students and some of our listeners about supporting and protecting freedom and power of the press and maybe finding good sources for their own news and information? Well, I think you always need to be skeptical. So finding out where your information is coming from is is number one thing I would tell people. You know, you can find all sorts of things online, on digital platforms, but if you have no idea where you know where the research was done or where the information came from or how the information was vetted, it's probably not going to do you. What's well, not going to do you nearly as much good as if you know those things. So don't don't take everything that you read for granted that it's true because it's not going to be. That's why I think sources like the New York Times, the PR, the Washington Post, uh, your local newspaper are important because they're trying very hard to get to, to get the information you know correct and to be accurate and, and correct about what they're reporting. A lot of people who are putting things online aren't trying to be true and accurate. They're just trying to change your opinion. So. You know, I think just being skeptical, a skeptical reader, being uh, someone who tries to uh, understand where the sources are coming from, uh, the importance is that without a strong uh, bunch of journalists, whether it's a free press or whether it's strong um, public radio or strong podcasters or whatever, um, government's going to be able to run amok. And government, you know, the, the press is has been a watchdog on government it's not the enemy of the people although some people in government might look at them as an enemy because if you know the president's spending or some if a, i won't say the president if anybody in your city council you know if you're going to las vegas on the, on taxpayer, the taxpayer money right. time um you need to know about it mm-hmm. and you need to be able to do something about it so you know it goes all the way to all the way back to your local community and Who's the, the mayor and the city council has responsibility for taking that tax money that everybody's spending and are paying in and then spending it on things that should be doing good work for all the people. And if they're not, the media needs to be there to hold them accountable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you, Bob Salzberg, for being with us, a uh, longtime journalist with the Herald Times uh, and respected dean of Indiana newspaper editors. Uh, you're really giving us some, uh, helping us to understand what, what really are two crises in terms of journalism right now. One really in terms of, as you said, the business model being broken, and then the other fact that uh, journalism, journalists themselves being under attack as the enemy of the people and as you said they are certainly not the enemy of the people they are protectors they should be Mm -hmm. and if i could thank you and also i I do want to thank monica and say that monica i hope your generation can help solve this problem me too (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you bob i'm ann doyle and i'm monica doyle let's Let's all go power up. up Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. 
And Monica and I would love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Ann Doyle LDR on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.